The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Tonight we are in 1 Corinthians 13, and we have been going through this book, asking the, or this chapter, asking the question, what is love? So we did chapter 13 a couple weeks ago, and then David Pickney was here last week, and we're going to finish it up tonight. And so what I'm going to do for us is I'm going to read the full chapter. I'm going to ask God to help us. And then we're going to look at this together. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall be fully known, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Father, we thank you for this chapter that takes us into the heart of who you are and the people that you have saved us to be. So we ask that as we look at what love is, that we would see our Savior and that we would begin to live in the type of love that he has for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the reason we've been doing this series is because, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but um, love is a little lacking these days, right? We, we live in a culture that's uh, pretty antagonistic and hateful, and there's a lot of uh, loaded language that's going on, and then... Um, there's the temptation for Christians as, our, as the culture begins to shift away from Christian values that we are somehow uh, being victimized and that we need to be on the defensive. And so there's the, the temptation to be uh, defensive with our tone and how we use our words towards other people. And then there's just a spiritual dynamic that I don't know about you guys, but I'm not always like a loving person. <laughs> I think I put up on Facebook this week. Uh, what I don't want to be is a jerk face. What I often am is a jerk face. Thankfully, Jesus loves jerk faces, you know. Um, we are people that need to pay attention to what love is. And so what we're looking at tonight is this chap- the end of this chapter. And we are beginning to look at not only what love is, but we're seeing a connection between love and the rest of eternity. Uh, Paul takes us not only to what the category of love is, but then he takes it this thing that we put on Hallmark cards and then he kind of throws it up into this eternal perspective of love never ends, right? It's an eternal picture of love. And um, when you talk about the category of eternity, it's kind of like, what, what is 
what is eternity, right? What, why, is he, why does Paul go to eternity here to talk about what love is? Well, the reality is that eternity actually, we're, re, eternity takes us into the, the definition of what we mean by just about anything, right? When we talk about, like, you know, what, what does the Patriots mean in perspective to eternity? Well, the vindication of Tom Brady for all of eternity, right? That's, that's what eternity means for the Patriots. But when we talk about love, when we talk about eternity, it really kind of takes us into the identity of who we are. Um, from, a, from a scientific perspective, we have Stephen Hawking. Um, Stephen Hawking, I don't know if you guys know who Stephen Hawking is. Um, he's this astrophysicist from Cambridge. He's actually really famous for being super, super bright and smart. Um, and having uh, was it, is it ALS or some sort of degenerative disease where he's in a, a wheelchair. Um, he's been in a wheelchair for the last like 60 years. Um, and when he talks about uh, the universe and eternity, here's a little quote from him. He says, before we, understand, before we understand science, it is natural to believe that God created the universe. But now science offers a more convincing explanation. And his explanation for what the universe is is, it's this multiverse, right? It's, uh, what he means by that is like you have a universe right here, and then it's a little bubble, and it's uh, right next to another universe. And then for all eternity, all these universes are kind of going back and forth and different variations on all of our history and our lives and values. And so you can have one universe like ours, and then you, right next to it you can have a universe that, for example, um, where uh, slavery is celebrated and good. Or you can have a universe where... Uh, the Allied powers uh, lose World War II and the Nazis take over Europe and all of that. And then you have another universe where um, Russia, you know, takes over the whole world. Or you have another universe where, um, uh, you know, it's legal um, to have child slavery, right? So these are all different universes where things, uh, love and goodness and things like that are kind of defined forever and eternity, whatever they want. Right, what that means is, so, uh, the reason I'm dropping into this category is that, um, apart from God, if our definition is, uh, whatever works for you as long as you don't hurt other people, right, you're left with this, like, conundrum of evil and bad things being condoned for all of eternity under the name of love. But when we look at a universe with God in control, like we're looking at at this simple chapter, that's why Paul draws us into eternity when we look at who God is. For all eternity, we get a very clear picture of what matters most and why it matters. You guys with me? Does that make sense? Or did I lose you with the Stephen Hawking thing? No, we're cool? Okay. I, I thought it was cool. but So we've been looking at the first few chat verses of the chapter. We've been looking at verses 1 through 3, the desire to glorify God and to bless others. And then verses 4 through 7, it's how do we bless others, right? How does that work out? And then here we're looking at where love aims. And so the setting of chapter 13 for this book is all about the life of the church, right? We're talking about eternity, we're talking about love, and the purpose of this chapter is to say, here's what God's people look like when they love each other. They love each other in this particular way, and it's not just a chapter to be read at weddings, <laughs> or to be read at funerals, or to be read at graduations. This is actually a chapter for us and how we are supposed to live today Right, this, is, this is the love outpost of heaven, is how Paul would talk about the church from chapter 13. But if you look at the verses that we're looking at tonight, love never ends as for prophecies, they will cease, and all these things. But we're looking at eternity, there's a bit of a tension. 
why why do things seem to not be the way they should be right they this is uh we live in a world that does not seem to live up to this chapter and we are people who don't live up to this chapter um but it is it is because we live in this tension between the way things are right now and the way they should be so i'm going to i'm going to read our verses for tonight we're going to verses 8 through 13 and then we're going to break it into two questions. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part... Then I shall be fully known, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. You see how there's going on this this picture of like, this is the way things are right now, but then it'll be different. So we're, this is love between here and there, right? We're going someplace. And so what I want to ask is two simple questions. What does a love-filled eternity look like? What does a, a truly love-filled eternity look like? And the second question is, how do we live a love-filled eternity now, right? So what does that look like? And then how do we do this now? You guys with me? First, first question, what does a love-filled eternity look like? First thing that it looks like is forever secure. If you look at verse 8, right, it's pretty simple. Love never ends. It's a pretty simple statement. Love never ends. Um, it's funny, I remember when Michelle and I were dating in high school, I made a little box for her. And I wrote this verse on it, like, love never ends. Like, my love for you will never end. <laughs> it's not exactly what Paul has in mind. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of things that end in our lives, right? I don't know if you know this, but um, most companies in America don't live, the, the average age of a company in America is 15 years old, right? Most of them don't live beyond, you know, 30, 30 years. Uh, the oldest company in the world, is, they're all in Japan, they're like founded in 1705 and or I'm sorry 705 not 1705 705 they're all like hotels and stuff like that but most companies don't end or don't uh, don't live forever right they uh, they end pretty quickly things that we want to live forever or things that we want to last forever um, they all come to an end right the nature of a family is to eventually end right you have kids Kids move out, they have kids, and eventually your family is reduced down to yourself, and it's not going to last forever, right? Vacations, they don't, they always come to an end, unfortunately. Like, wherever you go on vacation, it unfortunately comes to an end. We, our work, whatever we're working at, it eventually comes to an end. Um, our childhood, as much as we like to bring back the retro stuff, right? <laughs> we like to bring back... What was it Super Nintendo system? Whatever it's, I saw an ad for that recently. I'm like, God, that was my childhood. I remember hogging that from my friends playing Mortal Kombat or something I shouldn't have been playing. But it was, um, we, it all goes to an end eventually. But when Paul says love never ends, what he means or the picture that he's using is love never collapses. True love, God's love, it never gives, give, gives in, it never collapses, it never goes away right and what he's talking about here is this contrast between the gifts and love now the gifts and when he talks about the gifts right we, sometimes we like zero in on like 
prophecy or tongues or healings. When he's talking about the gifts, he's talking about anything that the Spirit gives you to serve other people and to bless people for Jesus, right? That's what he's talking about. He's just saying all that stuff, whether it's administration or encouraging words to other people, it's all a gift from the Holy Spirit, but those gifts, they will eventually, they'll pass away, right? Because the purpose of the gifts is to deliver us to God, right? To give us God himself, to see him and know him and enjoy him and be with him. And gifts are kind of like the train that gets us there, right? When you, when you get to your destination, you no longer need the train. Um, I remember, do you guys, I don't know if you guys know who Paul Tripp is. But Paul Tripp's this really cool counselor, pastor guy, and um, he's got a huge mustache. Like, if you ever see a picture of him, just like this mustache like sticks out like this. But I remember seeing him talk one time, and he'll, the way he preaches, he has no notes, and he'll just talk, he'll walk on stage for like three hours and just walk back and forth with his Bible like this. And I was like, dude, that's a, that guy's a beast. Like, how do you like memorize a whole sermon and just walk back and forth and know the whole thing for like three hours? Well, it's funny. One time he was talking about like, listen, I know you're already impressed with me doing this. Like, well, first off, I have really bad eyesight, so I have to memorize everything. <laughs> so like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like you get up on a stage, it's dark. You can't remember everything. But he was like, listen, like the Holy Spirit gives gifts. Like he could easily take this gift away. I remember being like struck by like, God can take away a gift as much as he gives the gift, but the gift is not what's important. It's the love that God is using through that gift that's the main point. That's what never ends. The gifts, whatever they are, right? Uh, we all, we, all, um, we eventually uh, can't quite perform at the same level. Our memories begin to fade. Our bank account dries up. Our vacations dry up. All that stuff begins to fade, but the purpose of those gifts is to give us the love of God, right? Chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, it's all about the gifts. Chapter 13 is about how to, what love is, and then chapter 14 is how to use those gifts with love, right? That's the, that's the purpose, that's the way this book is written, so that we can use our gifts. So he talks about spiritual gifts here, right? As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Right? These are supernaturally given abilities to sustain the church on her mission. Right? The gifts that God gives us, they're given to us so that we can serve God's mission in each other. Right? Because the mission will eventually end. The mission to, to encourage each other to Jesus, to reach other people for Jesus, to tell people about Jesus, to love our neighbors and our city for Jesus, it's eventually going to stop when Jesus comes. Which I think helps us because the reality is between here and there, right, love in between this day and that day is there's a lot of disappointments. There's a lot of things that fail. There's a lot of things that don't go the way we'd hoped, right? One of the most important things that God can do for you is to dash your expectations. But he does that so that our, our love, resting in his love, will grow. Right? We... Love never fails because that is the one thing where we are enjoying the very person of God himself with true love. So I don't know what your expectations are or how they've been dashed or things that aren't quite adding up the way you were hoping, the gifts that aren't quite playing out the way you thought they should, the skills that you once had that you don't have anymore. But the important thing, while those things fade, is the love that God is giving you in Christ. The second thing we see here 
of what does love a love-filled eternity look like. Right, so what we just said, love-filled eternity looks like forever secure because love will never leave. Second thing is perfectly satisfied. So read with me and hear if you can if you can hear what the, why I'm saying perfectly satisfied. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see him a mirror dimly, but then face to face, I now I know in part, then I shall be fully known, even as I have been fully known. So you see, there's this tension of it's not the way it's supposed to be. Like I don't I don't have the full satisfaction of knowing God the way I should. I don't have the full satisfaction of loving God the way I should. Right? It's, it, the culmination of the gifts is not in the giving of a book. It's in the giving of a person when we see God face to face. Right? So there are, there's, a, there's uh, some of our friends that will read this and say, well, the perfect is the Bible. I'm like, well, I, I, mean, I think the Bible is perfect. I think it's inerrant and infallible. But when he says the perfect, perfectly satisfied in the culmination of things, verse 12, he says, then face to face. The purpose is to see Jesus face to face. That's the purpose of the gifts and the purpose of how we serve each other and love each other. And so when he says that a love-filled eternity is perfectly satisfied, he uses two images to help us kind of get our heads around this, right? He says, right, there's childish ways, right? So when I as a child, I spoke like a child, then I became a man. I don't know what uh, what you think of with childish speech, right? With my kids, their peanut butter was always Peter butter, you know, like it wasn't quite right. <laughs> or um, childish imagination, right? Sometimes we, as kids, we imagine things that are like, just kind of like ridiculous. My dad had a pond when I was a kid, and um, I remember this moment where he was telling some friends like, oh, you gotta go fishing in our pond, like, it's fantastic. There's all these fish. There's a fish with your name on it. And in my head, I was like, how is there a fish with Robert on it? Like, how do you, like, did they, like, write Robert and then throw the fish back in there? You know what I mean? Like, that's not the way the world works. But, you know, when you're a kid, like, you think, like, childish things are like, well, you know, like, that's kind of sweet and endearing, but that's the way you think. Well, what Paul is saying is that even though we know true things about God and we know right things about God, until we see God face to face, all of our knowledge of God will be like the kid who thinks there's an actual name on a fish, right? It's going to be partial. It's going to be incomplete. It's going to be kind of, yeah, that, that's kind of the idea, but not quite, right? Right. So, I mean, these are all true things. And there's like, there's a million things that we can learn about God, delve deep down into the truths of God. If you want good books to learn good things about God, I can throw a few at you. I mean, not literally, but we can read a few of them together. It is fantastic to think God's thoughts after him, but even with the best thoughts we can think about God, they will not be complete until we see him face to face. The other one that he uses is a mirror, right? Verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly. One of the things that's helpful to know is that in Corinth, where this book was, this letter was written to, they were actually really well known for uh, the quality of their mirrors. They would have brass or bronze uh, mirrors that were highly polished, so when he's using this image, he's using like a local trade of theirs, right? So he says, now I see in a mirror dimly, like you guys, all your tradesmen who make the mirrors, or you know what a good mirror looks like. So it would have been kind of similar to ours, not quite the, you know, the quality of the glass, but it was a bronze mirror. You could kind of see it. But he's saying like, now we see in a mirror dimly. So it's like, 
having a like for me it would be like having a picture of Michelle like oh, it captures who Michelle is but that's not the same as seeing Michelle and being with her and talking to her like that's not even like the picture's good <laughs> but the person's better the book is good right we see God clearly it's good but I want the God of this book I want I want to see him and know him right and so when we see him and know him right we know in part then I shall be fully known then I shall know fully even as I've been fully known I will see God for, we will see God for who he is right that that picture is that the reason that, that I think Paul holds this out for us is that um, answers are not always forthcoming right? we don't always get the answers that we want in this life but we we do get the person that we need, which is why love is important. Love is the only thing that lasts because we, when we know God and see him and experience his, his presence with us, we are experiencing his love, but we don't always get answers. Right? I don't know if you noticed there, verse 4 through 7, when we read them, yeah, love is patient and kind, but it doesn't say, but love gets the answer for why you had to be patient <laughs> and why you had to be a little bit extra kind. To the person in the line ahead of you. Um, love does not envy or boast. Um, it is not arrogant or rude. Sometimes we want to be a little bit rude to people that kind of deserve it, but we don't get the answer for why they were having a bad day and we wanted to have a bad day back. Love does not insist on its own way, is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, right? These are, these are situations where we don't get the answers for why love has to do these things. Right? We don't get the answer for necessarily for why we have to bear with this relationship that just does not seem to change forever and ever and ever. We don't get the answer for why that is. But we do get the person. We get Jesus. We get more of him. Right? When we love with the type of love that Jesus has for us, at the end, that's what the love of a love-filled eternity is pointing towards, is a perfectly satisfied love because we get Jesus, and the answers would be great, but we're not promised those. And then the final thing, what does a love-filled eternity look like, is void of struggle. You see, you feel this tension as we're reading through these verses, right? Here, where things are kind of partial, but then there, where things are perfect, there is a uh, there's a tension between here and there. And the final verse of this chapter is rather famous. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love, right? Between here and there, there's faith, hope, and love, but the only one that lasts to the very end, that, uh, that makes it to the gate terminal, so to speak, is love, right? We don't, we don't take uh, faith and hope through the customs agent of heaven when we get there. So what is going on with faith and hope? What is faith and hope? Faith, uh, when we tend to think of faith, we like if you think of like Macy's, the store in New York, where they have like the big believe on the side of the... the Right? We tend to think of faith as like, oh, like believing the best, right? Faith is believing the promises of God. Faith is, is believing in the promises of who, who God has said he is. And then hope, um, hope is more um, anticipating those things, right? So faith is uh, more of, I believe that God is good. And then hope is, I anticipate seeing God's goodness. Right? You see the difference there? Right? 
faith believes it's like latching onto it and then hope is like I'm going to get it right but the greatest of these is love because I believe that God's good and I hope to see it I know that I'm going to see it but the reason love lasts and is the only one that lasts is because when we see faith realized when our eyes are opened and we see God face to face at the end of the age when we see the goodness of God revealed and we see Jesus step down with his own physical flesh on the earth, we don't need a hope to see it anymore. We don't anticipate seeing it anymore. It's, it's there, right? He's there. But the love that he's given us and that we enjoy, <laughs> the fuse explodes, and now we get to see it for real. The love that we've anticipated seeing God, we don't only get the gifts, but now we get the giver, right? So that's the love filled eternity. That's what love filled eternity looks like. It's this uh, forever, forever secure, right? It's perfectly satisfied and it's void of struggle. So now we're going to look at the second question. How do we live a love filled eternity now? Right? I'm sure you're thinking, this sounds great, but what does this mean for me? What do we do with this now? I think the first thing we do is with Paul, we enjoy the gospel. I know it's going to sound simple, and we hit this a lot here. We constantly go back to, are we enjoying the gospel? Our tagline, loving Jesus together. That is the gospel. The Paul, I think, hits this in verse 12 in a way that I think we should focus on. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall be fully known, even as I have been fully known. See, for him... Paul, what he's thinking is, I have been known. Uh oh. <laughs> right? I don't know, I don't know what skeletons you've got in your closet. Paul's are pretty pretty clear for everybody to see, right? He persecuted the church, um, stood by as Jesus' followers were murdered right in front of him with unfair trial. Um, who knows what else he had going on, but he was trusting in his own righteousness. He was despising the Son of God. He was celebrating when God's people were murdered. And um, otherwise, just kind of like a cantankerous type of dude, right? I don't know what your story is. <laughs> Talking about being a jerk face earlier, right? A lying cheat who's been doing things that you know you shouldn't be doing. Um, somebody that has lied to other people deceived other people, made fun of other people, cheated other people, or you have frankly just ignored God. Paul says, I have been fully known. But the goodness of the gospel is, yes, you have been fully known, but you have been fully loved. <laughs> First John 4, 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us, the one who knew us fully. That He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. That's a big word, propitiation. What that means is the wrath of God that we deserve was diverted. Right? You think of like a river that gets diverted into a different system. Right? sent down to another. Jesus 
God knowing fully who we are and how much we deserve the wrath of God to be separated from him and to live in our clenched fist, locked hearts forever. Jesus took the wrath that we deserved in our place. And he didn't just kind of do it by happenstance. He actually came to do that. That was the love of God for us. He said, I know that you would be left to yourself in anger and wrath forever. But because I love you, even though I know everything about you, I know that what you've done this week, right? He knows how we've been, you know, mean and angry and sinful and lusting and uh, cheaters all week, even today. And he said, I want, to, I want to free you from that. I love you. you. You are worse than you actually know. But you are more deeply loved than you know. That is the gospel, right? The gospel is, I'm worse than I know I am. I'm worse than I could possibly imagine that I am. But I'm more deeply loved than I could possibly imagine. That is the love of God for us, right? How, so how do we get ready for eternity? We dwell on who, what God's love has shown us thus far. That God would love us even when we were in our sin and loving our sin more than loving God. He sent his son to die in our place to save us from ourselves. Right? That's the point of the gospel. To save us from ourselves by the love of God to love and enjoy a happy God. Right? And God didn't do this just because he was kind of like trying to balance the checkbook at the end of the week. He did this intentionally. He sent his son to die for us because he loves us. and He's a happy God who wants us to be happy in his love. Which is why when we, you might call the, our small groups when we have them on Tuesday, Thursday nights, the tagline for those, right, right, our tagline is loving Jesus together. Tagline for our small groups could be sharing Jesus together because we get to share this gospel together. We get to get together every week, guys. It is, it is a privilege beyond imagining that other Christians get together with other Christians, right? That Christians get together with other Christians that Jesus, the Son of God, shed his blood for, right? These aren't just people who happen to live in our zip code. These are people that, that Jesus, as Paul says, they are fully known. You are fully known. And you get, to, you get together in a small group with somebody else who's been fully known and fully loved by the eternal Son of God, that he shed his blood for you and for them. And we get together every week and we get to say, hey, I know that you're a wreck and that I'm a wreck and that we're a mess, but Jesus loves us. <laughs> And now let's look at what it's like to be like him, to enjoy his goodness to us and his grace. We, we get to do that every week. That's, that's why we make a big deal about small groups, right? It's not just because it's like an administrative thing to kind of like keep everybody in check and kind of know who's doing where and how's everybody doing. It's because we're getting ready to see him. And we're travelers along the way. And we want to enjoy the gospel together. So that's, that's why we do it, right? That's why we emphasize the gospel a lot, right? We, you're going to hear more from me about who Jesus is and what he's done for you, like 10 times more than what I'm going to tell you to do about this is, you, know, you, should, you should be tithing or you should be coming to church or blah, blah, you, know, you should be doing those things. But we should be talking more about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Because at the end of the day, he's not going to say, well, you know, um, you tithe, so that's good. And you kind of love me, so that's kind of good. He's going to say, did you know my love? That's the thing he's looking at. Did you enjoy my love? That's why we emphasize the gospel. You guys cool with that? We're tracking? Second thing, how do we live a love-filled eternity now? Use our temporary gifts with permanent love. Right? I don't know if you remember the first part of the chapter, if I speak in the tongues of men, 
and if I have prophetic powers, and if I understand all mysteries, and if I have all faith, right? If I have all these great gifts of God, these Holy Spirit endowed gifts that he's given us, if we have all these things, but I have not love, I have nothing. But if you flip that, if I use the gifts, you know, the gift of prophecy, or the gift of administration, or the gift of marriage, or the gift of singleness, or if I use the gifts of uh, faith to serve and bless and love other people, and you turn the world upside down. That's what God gave in the church, so that we can love other people with our gifts. Right? Sometimes we think of like the sexy gifts of like, man, like the gift of prophecy, like that'd be fantastic. And the gift of prophecy is just it's a spontaneous spirit led thought for the edification of other people. It's not infallible, but it's just, hey, I think that I think the Holy Spirit would want to encourage you from Psalm twenty three or something like that, you know? And pray for somebody along those lines. It, it's really simple. Gift of administration. Guys, I'd love for somebody to be gifted with the gift of administration. That would make my life a lot better. <laughs> but we don't think of those as like the non-sexy gifts, right? Sexy gifts, like, oh, that's great. Non-sexy gifts. Administration. Running child care. Um, picking up the trash. Set up, tear down. All those type of things. Those are Holy Spirit given gifts as well. But if we were to do, for example, uh, administration, so um, sending out that weekly email, I'm like, oh, I don't like these people, but I'm going to get it done for Jesus. Like, that doesn't get you anything. <laughs> but if you want to serve other people and love other people, send out the email with love. Set up and tear down with love. Help the kids, my kids especially, <laughs> with love. Loving other people because that is a foretaste. That's the world that we're going to, guys. We are going to a world that is defined by love. And so when you do these things, children's ministry, set up teardown, prophetic gifts, serving other people, with love, you're, you're acting like your nationality, right? Your, your nationality in Christ is love. And you're acting like it when you're loving other people, even if you don't get recognition for it, right? Remember, we looked at all these things four through seven, right? The, there's not necessarily recognition for all the ways in which you have forbearing with other people, when you do it, love your your reward. Reward is Jesus, right? We get Jesus to give Jesus. That's the point. Using our temporary gifts, we get Jesus to give Jesus through our gifts. This is going to astound people. At times, it's going to be a bit weird, um, but it's going to mean that you're doing things to love other people, right? I have a there was um I might have told the story before, but there was a friend of mine um, who was out in Dublin, New Hampshire, which is like an hour and a half away in a recovery house out there. I'd met her a couple of times and I'd heard she'd gone, so I just went out to hang out with her. Like, hey, just want to see how you're doing. How's the, the time here? How's your recovery going? And she was like, why are you here? I showed up and she like got, had to get woken up out of a nap to come hang out. She was like, why are you here? <laughs> I'm like, well, A, I'm happily married. Secondly, I love you. I want to see how you're doing. I care about you. You know, like, I just want to see how you're doing. Like, that's when we love other people just for the sake of loving them and showing them the love of God, just like the love of God astounds us. Like, God, why would you love me? I've been fully known. You know, you know what a wreck I am, but you love me. When we do a little foretaste of that with other people, we are giving them more of Jesus. Third thing we see with how do we live a love-filled eternity now? 
I think we have a loving confidence in Jesus. What I mean by that is there's this tension of what life is now and what life is there, but it's not quite, there's things unresolved, right? We have to, we have to be patient with other people, we have to be kind with other people or ourselves. We, we have to fight our pride to, to, to boast in our gifts and our skills. We have to fight our lust to not envy what other people have, right? There's a loving, there's a, there's a tension that we're living in. But there's also wrongs that we experience, ways that people have wronged us. And I think what we see in Paul's vision of what love is, to live in a love-filled eternity now, is uh, there's a submissive, submissive trust to who Jesus is. Right? There's a confidence that Jesus is enough, and he's going to solve it. He's going to figure out all the problems that we couldn't figure out. He's going to solve all the issues that we couldn't solve. He's going to be the one that resolves the issues. And we don't have to worry. Right? There's a loving confidence. Like We don't have to justify ourselves. We don't have to figure this out. We don't have to get all things figured out. We don't have to get all the buttons tied in a, you know, in a line. We can trust it all to Jesus. There's a... Um, there's this commercial, I hope you don't mind me using this illustration, but there's a, there's a Budweiser commercial just came out with uh, Adam Driver. Who, do you know who Adam Driver is? He's the Kylo Ren from the new Star Wars, right? Super, anyhow. The, this, the premise of the commercial is this family of a veteran is in like, desperate financial need, right? And the veteran was hurt before he could go out on the field. And his daughter, um, so he's had lifelong effects of kind of how that's all affected his life. His daughter was inspired by his example and wants to become a nurse, but now she's in nursing school and she's racking up all this debt. And so Adam Driver, who's this actor, was in the military and he has, he works with the Budweiser company and they're like, look, we're going to pay for all your school debt and give you this money to take care of all the problems. And I bring it up just to say the, the way that she responded was, this little line, we don't have to worry anymore. Right? So here's this act of love to care for them and to provide for them and to meet their need. Right? That's what God has done for us in the gospel. He's provided for us and given us the love of God and given us Christ and settled all our debts against God and given us the Holy Spirit so we can live like Jesus. And yet there's all these wrong things that happen. But because of this great gift of what God has done for us in Christ, we don't have to worry anymore. That's what I mean by this, this loving confidence, right? Not that we have a swagger. Look, okay, I don't have to worry about this. This is a problem that I can't resolve, but God can resolve it. And I might not see the end between now and when I see Jesus face to face. Final thing that we see, with what does it mean to live a love-filled eternity now? Anticipating seeing Jesus. We've been focusing in on chapter, uh, verse 12, but we should look at verse 12 again with me. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, this little but then, right? Ephesians 2, I was dead in my trespasses and sin, but then God sent his son to die in my place and make me alive. And now we're looking at the final but then, right? For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then when the mirror is shattered and we see God's face, Face to face, we will see him. His glory will be fully on display. We'll see the one person we want to see for all of our lives. We will see him face to face. And we won't just see him kind of in a general way, but we will see the Father. John 3.16, For God so loved 
the world, a God defined by love, that he loved us and sent his son to die in our place, right? Here's the father who sent his son to die in our place. God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believed in him should have eternal life. And then we'll see the son, right? Right, Galatians 2.20. We see God, the son. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I am no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And here's what we want to pay attention to. For the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So the Father who sends the Son, the Son who lovingly dies in my place, and then we'll see the Spirit. I hope, and hope, Romans 5, verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame, right? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Holy Spirit gives us the love of God. So the Father who has love for us, who sends His Son in love to die for us, and now the Spirit comes and, and pours the love of God into our hearts. This God defined by love, we will see Him face to face. It will be a world of love. It will be a world defined by this God unveiled for all of us to see. Love in its pure, raw form in God. And not only will we see God, the God of love, but then we will all be perfected in his love. There's no longer jealousy or envy. Right? We'll see God bless another person and give them something, beachfront property in, warm, in the warmth of Florida forever and eternity, and we'll praise God for giving them a good gift. And, and God will give a gift to somebody else, mountaintop house on Mount Washington, and we won't envy it. We'll say, God, thank you for, for giving that gift to that person and delighting in the other person receiving a good gift. We won't have any more envy. We won't have any more jealousy. We will delight not only in knowing God and seeing our loving God, but we will live in a world where we love each other without any jealousy or selfishness or bitterness or anger. Why me? Why not me? I didn't get this. This isn't fair. No, we live in a world of love. That's where we're going. We're going to this place in Jesus where we are defined and we live in a world saturated by love. Isn't it, This is an amazing picture, right? This is not the God that we tend to hear about. This is a picture of a God who is so happy with his love that he, he sets up this whole crazy story known as the history of time so that he can save us and give us more love in Jesus forever and ever. And he didn't ask you to do it. <laughs> he did it to bless you because he loves you. And so Paul ends, chapter 14, verse 1, pursue love. Right? Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially they might prophesy, but pursue love. So what do we do? We pursue love. All, all the jerk faces in the room. We look to Jesus. And we want to live this love-filled eternity. So what we do is we pursue love. How can you take your gifts this week? The ways God has gifted you, whether that's by praying for other people, or whether that's in administration, or encouraging words to other people, or skills that you should tell me about that I don't know about. <laughs> How can you take those skills and pursue loving other people? How can, you, how can you love other people this week? Because when you love other people, you are practicing the song of heaven, that you will live forever. That is the love that God has given us in Christ and how he is shaping us to be a people of love. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. 
Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.